Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and in the event of war join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Python and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in an in imposing task on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your word for us this day, we would learn more about you and your calling in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take out your uh, notes page there in your bulletin as we go through this uh, sermon today. May it, may it guide our time. I, I was able to squeeze in all of those verses. Luckily, none of these verses are too arduously long. Um, and so I was able to get them all on there as well as just some notes as always for you to take with you into the world from this sermon. You know, throughout history, we can recount stories, just stories throughout time of people who have uh, stood up and made moral decisions that have gone against maybe what society had considered what they wanted them to do, right? I mean, we can think of the people who fought to free slaves in the early times of America. We can think of the people who hid Jews in their households in World War II Germany. We can think of persons who stand up for what, it, for what they think is right, guided by their understanding of morality, Right? We, can, we can think of these examples. We can think of contemporary allyship, of standing with and for those who are being oppressed. And as Christians, we do this all the time. 
As Christians, we have this understanding of morality and faith that flows through us from this understanding of God that we have in our lives. And for many of us, this becomes an important characteristic of our Christian journey. Because oftentimes, as we think about what it means to be Christian, it means that we ourselves stand up for maybe those, for, not for maybe, that we stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, for those who are being oppressed, for those who are experiencing injustice. And as we have been looking at this series, we have been looking at these women throughout Scripture who have in their own journeys stood up for who God called them to be in the face of what we have labeled since the very beginning of this series a very patriarchal society. And so their very act of holding the positions, of speaking in the manners in which they are speaking, goes completely contrary to the way in which life was lived and experienced by women in the time in which we are looking. And so as we've been looking in this series, we have latched on to these ideas of the lessons that we take from the way in which these women stand up into the way in which not only we stand up for our faith, but the diversity of the kingdom that exists when we stand up for our faith. And so we have looked at examples like the loving kindness that exists in Naomi, the claiming of authority and encouraging of others through Deborah. The siding with an understanding of justice in Esther. And the braveness in even the smallest, what may feel like the smallest of acts in someone like Jehoshaphat. It has been these acts that have defined our series so far. And this week, we read of another brave act. We read of another act of bravery, not unlike the act of bravery that we saw last week in Jehoshaphat. Because the work of the women that we look at today will help to ensure the line of Moses. And so no one can fault anyone as we look here in our scripture text today. Because I'm sure that many of us, when we think of the book of Exodus, when we think of those verses of the book of Exodus, our mind probably immediately goes to the story of Moses getting placed in the basket, right? Many of us probably think that that is the first story in Exodus. And it's it's okay, because sometimes even even your pastor's mind goes there. Like, when I get to the book of Exodus, I go, okay, Joseph's at the end of Genesis, and the beginning of Exodus, Moses is being laid in that basket, right? We may get a couple of verses here. And so a lot of times, a lot of us may skip over these verses that we are looking at today. But it is these, that cycle, the Israelites do evil, they cry out to God to be saved, God sends a judge, one of those we talked about is Deborah. So after that time, like as that time is drawing on the Israelites, God, why can we not just have a king? And there's this prophet, Nathan, he's like, look, y'all don't really want a king. A king is going to do all of these things. And they're like, no, but we still want a king. And Nathan and God are like, okay, fine, we'll give them a king. And so what happens? So the first king of Israel is Saul. I really should like test your biblical knowledge, but I think I'll, 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 I'll help you guys out here. So the first king of Israel is Saul. And so we think to ourselves, are our, how are our lives guided? Are our lives guided by a faith in God, or are our lives guided by a power that seeks to keep us in control? And so in our story today, as we dive into this first chapter of Exodus and this story today, 
The story is about two women, right? Up until now, we've only looked at one woman per story. And so I apologize to Shifra and Pua. We're going to take them together because we don't have a single act that they're doing, but we hear of the way in which they both stand together, Shifra and Pua, and the way that they are talked about in this passage. And so the job of the midwife has not changed in centuries, right? The midwife, it, 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 the midwife is, a, is a profession that is still in our society today. We have people who serve as midwives all the time. Now, we've added other people into that process, right? We've added uh, OBGYNs. We've added anesthesiologists. We've added doulas. We've added uh, nurses. Uh, we've added uh, concerned fathers. Uh, we've added sometimes concerned mother-in-laws, concerned father-in-laws, concerned grandmother, I mean, just like, right, there are a lot of people in the birthing room now. It's just like, it wasn't always that way. But here in the biblical times, you had the, the, you had the pregnant woman, and then when the pregnant woman was giving birth, uh, they would send for a midwife, and the midwife would come, and they would help them in labor. And so that is the role that Shifra and Pua have in this story. Now, here's where it gets interesting, right? Because we read, if we look in our passage today, and right now we're identifying who these two women are. So if you look with me at verse 15 for a second, we have a very interesting translation thing that actually becomes very important as we understand this story. Because we can understand this story from two different angles, right? And so in verse 15, we hear the, um, sorry, yes, verse 15 The king, there we go, found it. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives. Now, here's the interesting thing is there are some translations where that says the Hebrew midwives, and there are some translations that says the the midwives to the Hebrews. And so in this understanding, like, we don't know the nationality. We don't know if Shifra and Pua are Egyptian or if they're Hebrew. But from this understanding, we can take an understanding that maybe they are Hebrew and maybe they are Egyptian. And the cool thing is, is that we learn a lesson if we think about it either way. It doesn't matter their nationality because the, what matters is that they make a difference and they do this act. And so when we look in and we see what they're being asked to do, they are standing up for They are standing up for essentially morality in this sense and against the powers that be in Egypt. And so what's going on? What's what's going on in this story is if if you remember the end of the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis ends with that story of Joseph. It ends with the story of Joseph. And for those of us who may be unfamiliar with the story of Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery into Egypt. He builds himself up into the Egyptian society and then becomes the right hand of the Pharaoh. And in, e- and in Israel, meanwhile, Jacob, who is the, the, the descendant of Abraham, has his, has his 13 sons, and who, who Joseph is one of them, and they experience a time of famine, right, that's predicted by Joseph. And so they move into Egypt. Joseph invites them to Egypt, and they live peacefully and harmoniously in Egypt. Like, if we read the end of the book of Genesis, we're like, all right, the Israelites, they're going to they're gonna have a place to live. They're going to have nice, comfortable, they're going to be fed, they're going to be taken care of. And, and then, of course, you know, as we always have to do, we have to kind of turn the page of Scripture. Right? We turn from Genesis and we enter into Exodus. And in the first handful of verses in, Gen- in Exodus, we get this recounting. But here in verse 8, we unfortunately see that the name of Joseph comes to a place where it no longer carries weight. 
right? And we read that now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And see, we can tease a lot of stuff out of this, right? He doesn't know about Joseph. And so he may not necessarily know why are the Israelites in Egypt? Like, why do they have to be here? They provide absolutely nothing for us. They're just taking up our land. They're taking up our food. Why are they here? And so what does the Pharaoh decide to do? But he decides to sort of collect them together and put them to work, right? Because Pharaoh is afraid that at some point in time, one of two things is going to happen. Either the Israelites are going to outnumber the Egyptians and therefore overthrow them, or the thing that is recounted here in Scripture, the Israelites will outgrow the Egyptians and will team up with one of the other powers at B in the time, and the Egyptians will cease to exist. The Egyptian empire will cease to exist. And so Pharaoh takes control the only way that he knows how. And the best way that he can think of doing this is through kind of probably what many of us would think of as like almost population control. And so he seeks to end lines within the family of Israel. Now he does this in two different ways. And many of us are probably familiar with the second way, which is that And that's the verse that we didn't read at the end of chapter 1 today, which is often where the story of Moses starts, which is that Pharaoh sends out an edict that any Egyptian that sees a male Hebrew boy throws them in the Nile River, right? That's that's probably the way, that's probably the population control affair that many of us are familiar with. But he actually had an attempt before that, and that's the story we get today. That's the story we get from Shifra and Pua. They are asked to do the unthinkable. They are asked that in their role as midwife, when they attend a birth of a Hebrew woman, that as soon as that woman gives birth, literally as soon as that baby exits the birth canal, almost before it can take its first breath, this midwife is tasked to identify whether it is a boy or a girl and is tasked to kill the boys on the birthing stool. A command given out of fear by a king afraid of losing his throne. But here is the cool thing. And here's the thing that we latch onto when we look at this story. Is that rather than listen to the fear of the king, the women decided to be guided in their faith, understanding, and living by God. Whether by fear, faith, or understanding of who God is, that overpowered this fear of Pharaoh, and they did not follow the king's orders. Right? Verse 17. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. And then they had a little powwow together because they're like, well, if we're going to defy the king, we need a good story. Maybe we'll just say that they're like really quick at giving birth. And so like we couldn't get there in time. The baby was already there. I didn't want to like, I mean, it was already like the mother was already nursing. And so I, I didn't want to like kill a baby. Ooh, that would be rough. And so they tell Pharaoh, right? They, t- they tell Pharaoh. And what we read here is because the women are not like Egyptian women, right? They're not soft, but they're really, but they're really intense. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So like Pharaoh, we couldn't kill them. We don't know whether that was true or not, 
But this is the story that we hear from Shifra and Pua, and this is the reason that they can't kill the babies. And then they are looked on favorably by God because of this decision. Right? For these women to stand up in this way. I mean, it's unconscionable to think, whether we consider these women to be Hebrew or Egyptian, that they would feel so convicted by the nature of God that they would go against a direct order uh, from the king of Egypt. And yet that is what they do. That is what they do. The actions of these two women, of Shifra and Pua, in this passage goes to show us what it means to stand up for who God calls us to be. And it punctuates that by naming the way in which we do so by standing against oppression and injustice in our world. And this is the passage. This is what sets the stage for the rest of the book of Exodus. Because this is the first act of disobedience. This is the first act of liberation for the Israelites. In the first 14 verses, we are told why the king of Egypt does not like the Israelites and of all the bad things. And this is the first time that someone stands up to the king. And as we unpack this passage, we must wrestle with what side of history we fall on to. Because we can easily look at this passage and think that this was a wonderful act by these two women to stand against Pharaoh. But we can also seemingly look at this passage and think of the ways in which these two women obstructed what Pharaoh was trying to do. I'm not, I mean, it's not a good translation. I'm not saying it is. That is the other side of this equation. And so it calls on us. It calls on us as we interpret passages in scripture like this, to have an honest conversation about our own roles in society. Because I'm sure if I asked each and every one of you which translation you would probably latch on to most, I would understanding the lineage of understanding the lineage of the kings and of looking at the lineage of Jesus, we can identify why this one act, why the, I mean, really, it's just like that second verse that really points us to Jehoshaphat's actions, why it becomes so important. Through her part in scripture, through these three verses. It has a huge impact on the story of God. And you see, the funny thing is, this is not the only time that we get these like little stories that essentially save the line of Jesus. Right? There are stories all throughout Scripture in which the genealogy of Jesus is saved through acts, through these small acts. Imagine if I told you that one kind act, one small commitment, one act of justice, of mercy, of service, one small act could impact tens of thousands of people in days and ages to come. Wouldn't, isn't that what we strive for? Like, wouldn't that be cool? That's the promise of God. That is the promise of God in the kingdom, right? That the acts, the things that we do here on earth, the examples of grace and love and peace and strength, all of those things play a role in the building of the kingdom of God. One brick, one stone, one pebble at a time. We build the kingdom of God. It is not without these small acts that the kingdom can be built. Now here's the thing, and here's where like that goodness nature of those kings kind of, kind of comes into play a little bit. And it's not going to be perfect, 
right? We, we strive for perfection. That's, that's our Wesleyan nature. We strive for perfection, that nature of sanctification. But, but we will fall short. But it's the end of the journey that feeds our desire to do now what God is calling us to do. You see, the people of Judah and Jehoshaphat knew that there was something special about the Davidic line. They knew that they had gone through their ups and those who value human life. Right? Whether we view the Israelites as the people of God or not, if we look at a society and we see people being murdered, it should raise a red flag in our minds. Because in this story, we see a story of fear. We see a story of Pharaoh's nature of fear and cowardice because he cannot understand. And therefore, because he cannot understand these people, he devalues the life of these people so much that he puts them into slavery. He commits them to build an empire and he seeks to kill all of the young boys in a way to keep them oppressed. He's afraid of losing power. He's afraid of losing control. And he seeks to assert that power and control over a people that he feels like occupies his land. And we learn from this nature what it means to side with the justice of God. And from these two brave and awesome women, how we do so. Right? The cool thing in this passage is that Pharaoh tells them to kill the boys. And so naturally, Pharaoh tells them to kill the boys because he sees the boys as a threat. He doesn't see the little girls who will grow up into strong, amazing women as a threat. And yet he's brought down by these two women who come in and defy the order of the Pharaoh. And so when we think about what we are called to do, the roles we are called to play in society. The ways in which we are called to have compassion and care. I can think of no greater story than a midwife aiding and embracing the birth of a baby, a beloved child of God into the world. And that is what they do. These women do their jobs. And these women bring life into the world. And it is this nature of maternal compassion in this passage that is just so palpable in the nature of God. The interesting thing about the beginning of the book of Exodus is there are only a couple of times in the beginning of this book in which God is mentioned. God is mentioned in the burning bush when Moses is called. And God is mentioned right here in this story about Shifra and Pua. Because what is happening here is an embodiment of this maternal compassion and care nature of God. A professor of Hebrew Bible, his name is Roger Nam, he, he brings up this point. He talks about God's sovereignty being manifest through this understanding of compassion and care. And that the care is heightened in this time because of what Pharaoh is calling them to do. But he calls us and tells us, do not mistake this compassion for weakness. Do not mistake this compassion. Who may not save a future king and at the same time hold together the genealogical line of our Savior. Now, I'm not promising it. I'm not saying no, but I'm, not, I'm also not saying, like, yes. Anything could happen. 
But like, are you staying open to taking those actions that may make a bit of difference in our lives? I mean, we remember our actions have consequences. Are we willing to, to our decisions have consequences? They can, I mean, they can lead to, to grace and peace and mercy, right? I mean, we think about those acts of care and compassion we give to other people. Right, those times of, of, of that perfectly timed smile, or that perfectly timed kind comment that helps someone feel valued in this world. We think about those perfect, those, those just timely acts of love and care that may help save someone. Those unknowing decisions that may save a life. But we also think about the flip side, right? Those acts that can lead to destruction, that can lead to hurt, and that can lead to pain. Our decisions have consequences, and they can lead to, to grace and peace and mercy, or they can lead to harm or destruction or systems of evil. And Jehoshaphat teaches us that no matter who we are, no matter what our role in the greater narrative, it is the actions that we can take that can lead to true transformational change in the world. Don't ever think yourself too small. Don't even think an action is too small to make a difference. But an action of good, an action of love, an action of peace can have a ripple effect throughout the ages. What will you do today that will make the future better for those around you? And are you willing to be part of God's plan to offer redemption and reconciliation to the world? And as I ask those questions, remember that you may not see the fruits of your labor. Like, and that's really tough. That's really tough for us. You may not see the fruits of your labor, but... When we fight the good fight, we are doing God's work to build the kingdom and oppressive acts. And so we stand for that treatment of all of God's children across the world. And it befalls upon us to wrestle with that notion of how will we stand? How will we share, exemplify, live the love of God even when it may seem impossible? And we learn from Shifra and Pua that when we stand firm in our faith and love of God and extend that care and compassion to others, we are doing God's work. Amen.